coming up on this episode of The Courage to Change. Did you know you were an alcoholic then? Absolutely not. (laughs) Don't you love that? Don't you love it? Oh, I love it. But they like to tell me, I'm like, all this pressure. I've got your dad driving me crazy. I've got, you know, all this stuff. I was so much pressure, so much stress. And it was like, how am I going to get through this? How am I going to do this? And mine just kept me going. Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to the Courage to Change a Recovery podcast. My name is Ashley Loblassa Game, and I am your host. Today, we have a double guest episode. Samantha and Nicole Senia are a dynamic, passionate mother-daughter duo supporting each other in sobriety. Samantha is a born entrepreneur. When her marriage fell apart, she drowned herself in Chardonnay until she was no longer functioning. With sheer grit, she joined the road to recovery and started a new empire out of her garage, determined to teach her two kids, Nicole and Brandon, that they can do anything they set their minds to. Nicole is a creative soul with a mission to remove the stigma associated with sobriety. Nicole was on a fast track to success on her artistic path when addiction to drugs and alcohol derailed her plans. After getting sober, Nicole is pursuing her passion for singing and songwriting and completing her college degree at Loyola Marymount University. Today, Samantha is the CEO of Elite Home Staging and Elite Mason, a furniture collection where she has garnered numerous accolades for being one of the most sought after stagers in Southern California. She works with her daughter, Nicole, who is one of the top saleswomen at Elite Home Staging. The mother-daughter duo recently started The Power of We, a podcast that peels back the curtain on sobriety, sanity, and survival. All right. This one is great because it's different. We have a mom-daughter duo that talk about sobriety. They work together. We also get to hear a bit about the intergenerational aspect of alcoholism. Samantha, her mother was an alcoholic. Her mother and father were alcoholics. And then she became one and then her daughter became one. And actually her son does get sober as well. Uh, They both got sober in 2009. So Samantha gets sober in 2019 and Nicole, her daughter gets sober in 2020. So we get to hear a bit about that and about what that looks like for them now and how that looked as Nicole was growing up and saying she was going to be nothing like her mom. I think we've heard that story many times where people look at their parent and their drinking and their use and say, I don't want to be anything like that. And then somehow we end up right where we said we weren't going to be. And so I think it's a really great conversation with both of them present to talk about that dynamic. So without further ado, I give you the mother-daughter duo, Samantha and Nicole Senia. Episode 122. Let's do this. You're listening to The Courage to Change, a recovery podcast. We are a community of recovering people who have overcome the odds and found the courage to change. Each week, we share stories of recovery from substance abuse, eating disorders, grief and loss, childhood trauma, and other life-changing experiences. Come join us no matter where you are on your recovery journey. 
Hi, ladies. Thank you so much for being here. Thank Thank you for having us. How are you? Doing really well. I'm excited to have a mother-daughter pair on the show. This is our first mother-daughter pair. Can you introduce yourself so the listeners can get to know your voices? Sure. I'm Samantha Senia, and I'm Nicole's mom. And I'm Nicole Senia, the daughter. I also um, am attending LMU, journalism major. I have a little over a year sober. My sobriety date is June 16th. And my sobriety date is July 25th, 2019. And I'm also, um, I work, I own a company called Elite Home Staging and Elite Maison. Nicole works with me and we stage homes. We help empower women to start their careers and, you know, do something that they never did before. And so they come to me and they have never staged or, you know, maybe they've had a little bit of experience like, you know, sales or like design experience. Right. And they come and they start their career. So that's really where I started. Awesome. So that's that's kind of the passion, right? You guys are bringing all your passions together, recovery, home staging, female empowerment, and then also your your relationship. Well, it's yes. really about sobriety, strength, and hope. <laughs> and I'll cry because it's like so emotional. Like, you know, it's been a long journey, but we got here. And you know, that's the, that's the important part, right? The important part is to come together and that's what we've done. And also my son is sober as well. I don't know if you know. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me a little bit, where are you guys originally from? So we are originally from Calabasas, California. That is where my parents, my mom, my dad raised me and my brother, Brandon. Yeah. And uh, so I raised them in Calabasas. I'm from Irvine also my, and Playa del Rey. Um, I went to San Diego State. And then I met my husband um, working, selling cell phones of all things. And <laughs> we, um, you know, he moved me out to Calabasas, which I never in a million years thought I would live somewhere like that. And, you know, God bless everyone that wants to live there. But it wasn't the best experience for me. But I had two beautiful kids out there and... Yeah. So it was, it was a journey for sure. So you're, you and your husband divorced when the kids were six and seven. How did that happen? What was the final straw um, that led to that decision? My husband and I got married and we were married like three months short of 10 years. We were very different. He's very, we're very different. Unfortunately, you know, some, he had an affair And, um, I said, you know, and we, we tried to work it out, but we were just too different at that time. It's not even about the affair. Who cares about that? It's about, you know, we grew apart. And the reason we grew apart is because we didn't communicate. I mean, I, I, we still love each other as friends to this day, but we didn't communicate. And, you know, people think you jump to another thing. It's always going to be better. Right. So that's actually an interesting question. Cause that's when my journey of alcoholism really kicked in. Do you think that the alcohol wasn't, you know, so you talked about how in the marriage up until that point, right, you weren't communicating and that there was this disconnect and, and, I've been with my husband for 12 years. So I know about what it takes to stay a long time. It's it's a lot of communication. And even when the words you're communicating are true, 
maybe there's more, you know, there there's more body language or other things that aren't being communicated. And I feel like sometimes I don't even know that things are going on with me to communicate to him, right? So it's like, there's so many different ways you can communicate with another person. Do you think that it was the realization that at, like at the time when the divorce happened, that it brought up all the things that you hadn't been paying attention to? Or why do you think that you didn't need the alcohol before that moment? Because obviously the, the marriage was struggling before the divorce happened? Wow. That's a great question. Well, actually, I mean, I did use alcohol a little bit, not much because I was usually going to bed, but let's go back. So it's really what happened to us is, you know, outside influence became more important than our own relationship, which happens to a lot of people now. Right. And it's like, you know, the big cars, the big house, the nannies, all that crap that would became more important than us communicating and working on things. And then, you know, now I can say this, but we weren't doing any self work. And if you don't work on yourself and put the oxygen mask on yourself, you can forget about it. You can't help each other. So that's when, you know, sex and everything else, you know, starts to go away. Right. And so, you know, I mean, it was both of our doings. It's not one person. It's never one person in any situation. It's always, you know, it's both people. And, you know, it's been, it was a good learning lesson. But now I would love to, you know, share with everyone else, like focus on, you know, don't just blame. The blame game never works. Uh Uh-uh. You got to look at your own cup. Do you, what, what was your relationship with alcohol before the divorce? I wasn't a big drinker in high school. I wasn't really much in college because I have a friend that, uh, that um, fried her brain and that was very traumatic for me. And my mom was an alcoholic, but I would drink and I would black out. I was fun until I wasn't okay. So I didn't drink as much. So that's really where it started. And then when I got divorced and this is so important is that it starts like, oh, I'm going to meet my friends for one drink because you'd be handling the kids, taking them to baseball, taking them to soccer, taking them to dance, running around. I I was working. Oh, I'll just meet my friends for a drink when I didn't have the kids. Well, that one drink turned to two drinks, turned to three drinks. And then I was not a good drinker. I blacked out. Did it cause you, like when you would black out, were you able to get home? Did it cause you any problems or it was pretty manageable until later on. <laughs> I don't know. She's like, yeah. Oh. yeah. Nicole, um, care, well, care to weigh I in? I drove drunk, if you want to know the truth. Like, okay. like a lot of people in this world. And I thought that I can drive. Did it cause, you know, it caused tension between Nicole and I. I would do things that I wasn't proud of. My son became my like my father almost, because my father died during that time. And so I would talk to my son, who's like, eight or nine at the time, like he was my friend. Your kids are not your friends at this point, you know? So yeah. And she did talk to us as friends growing up, but as much as I don't think kids are your friends, I think that it has definitely helped me evolve. And like a lot of people say, I'm way more mature than I should be, or like more wise for my age. And I think that has a huge part to play in it. So honestly, I'm grateful for that. (laughs) What was your perception of what was going on with mom and alcohol? Oh, I knew she was an alcoholic. I mean, I remember (laughs) when my parents got divorced, 
there's like one memory I have. It's like very vivid of my mom just sitting in the bathtub with like four bottles of wine next to her, like, and just like drinking because she was like crying her eyes out because she was so upset. And that was like her way of coping with obviously the divorce. And it was sad to see, but in my brain, like I saw my grandma being an alcoholic. I, that's when I kind of knew my mom was an alcoholic and like my grandpa was also like an alcoholic. So alcoholism, like definitely ran in my family. So if alcohol, if your, your experience, your exposure to alcoholism was always alcoholic, right? With grandma, grandpa, mom, how did you know it was abnormal? Um, that's a good question, actually. <laughs> I think because I'm a pretty intuitive person and like the way she or these people in my family would act wasn't normal. Like, I, I mean, like it just, even if it was normal in a, our family environment, like it just wasn't a normal reaction to have in general, like the way they would like act out and just like become different people. And it didn't feel right. Like nothing felt right. It just felt wrong. So that's how I knew it mm-hmm. wasn't normal. And I embarrassed her. Right. Oh yeah. And you know, you know was- I mean, I was fun. I thought I was being the fun mom as they got older. I would, I did all kinds of things with them and their friends, like, but it wasn't fun for them. And even from a young age, like she would drink with like my friend's mom. So that's an interesting question. Like, why wouldn't I think it's normal? Because if my friend's moms are doing the same thing, like it does look normal, but for some reason it just, it sat like not right with me. And I always had this, like, I never want to be like my mom. Honestly, that was like the one thing I used to always think, like, I'm never going to end up like my mom. I'm never going to be an alcoholic, which is so interesting because I'm sitting here today, a complete alcoholic drug addict. (laughs) Yeah. There's some things we can't escape. And I think, I think it is interesting. My, you know, my mom's not an alcoholic, but I thought those same things. She embarrassed me. Um, I didn't want to be like my mom, you know, I mean, so there's a lot of, I think there's this track of like normal, normal, like differentiation we have with our parents, right. Where it's like, I don't, you know, the, the huge joke, my mom had this Mercedes, uh, station, black station wagon that yeah. she drove. You, you remember the, the, yes. the, the, I the had uh, one too. <laughs> yeah. So she had this and I was like, it is just so, you know, I would just was talk so much shit about it. And my, the second car I have really big dogs and I always have. And the second car I got was a, uh, black, like, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, and my, oh, my dad, my, yeah, I was like, I used to say, I'd rather walk to school than be caught dead in that thing. And, um, <laughs> And, uh, and my dad, I'll, I'll never forget being in my, you know, early twenties and my dad taking a picture of both of our, our cars right next to each other. And he was like, oh, I wish I could show this to your 15 year old self. <laughs> and, uh, and so like, there's this normalcy, right. Of like, I don't want to be like my mom. I'm embarrassed by my parent. But then I feel like with children of alcoholics, there's just, there's something that makes it a little different, right. That's like that above and beyond that 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 core feeling of please don't make me like this person like that's not what i want and i think that's where the differentiation is because there is a there's a normal like i don't want to be like my parents and then there's i i have 4 year old twin boys and they tell me all the time that you know I, that i'm not i'm not cool and and uh you know that i'm 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 not like gecko you know gecko and and the pj masks or whatever the stuff is and i think there's just this like innate thing like differentiation but what you're describing is so different right it's like this deep seated feeling of I see the disorder. I see the dysfunction. I can feel that something isn't right. 
And I think in my subconscious, like, I probably knew that, like, that is something that was probably able to happen to me, right? Because I, I, that's probably why, like, I had that core feeling deep down, like, I never want to be this way, because I probably knew that it was, like, a possibility for me. And it was a different than, like, it wasn't like, oh, I don't want to be with my, be like my mom, like, I'm embarrassed. It was like a way different feeling than that. It was like this core gut feeling like I can never act like that. Like that is insane. Like that is insanity. Like I can never do that. But, and then it's crazy because in in high school, I honestly didn't drink a lot. Like, yeah, because I that's saw true. that's when her alcoholism was really at its peak when I was in high school. So like I would have parties, she would black out at my high school parties, like just crazy shit would happen. And I wanted to be the sober one because I wanted to be responsible. Like I didn't want anything like any correlation between the two of us like that. I was like that. It was it was embarrassing. And like, I also felt like I needed to be responsible because someone needed mm-hmm. to be. Mm-hmm. So then I did, but I'm not going to lie. Like, I remember my eighth grade graduation. I had, we had a big dinner and they gave me wine and I blacked out. Like, that was the first time I had drank. And then, like, I remember I went to one party in high school and I blacked out. And then, like, I wouldn't drink because I was like, oh, my God, this is crazy. Like, how did I black out already? And it was, like, I think a solid three times I drank in high school and I blacked out every single time. So then when I did go to college... I wasn't, obviously, like I said, I wasn't a big drinker, but I immediately saw, I went to a big party school and I got, I wanted to be in a sorority. That was like my dream. I wanted to be a sorority girl. I wanted the the college experience. Like I wanted that. I craved that. So I rushed a sorority. And like, I remember sitting in my dorm room the first night with like these three girls who were all going to rush off feet. And we were so excited to like go to the like rush tomorrow and like get our outfits together. And this one girl in my room was like, she pulled out a bottle of Ciroc like this big and they all sat in a circle and they're like, okay, you guys ready? And I was like, for what? And they're like, we're going to drink this whole thing right now. And I started laughing. So I'm like, this is a joke. Yeah. Right. We're not going to drink the whole bottle. And we sat there and proceeded to drink the entire bottle the first night of college. And I had never been so sick in my entire life. Like I blacked out. I woke up like in my neighbor's bed, like cash like with my head back like and my friend I woke up and my friend and her boyfriend were like are you okay and I was like what the fuck like where am I and that was just like what it looks like from an from the first time I really decided to drink yeah yeah it's um it's interesting like I I want to jump to you Samantha and say did you have similar feelings that Nicole had about your mom you mentioned your mom was an alcoholic did you think the same thing Yeah. It's as we're talking, it's becoming very emotional because it's like, holy man. Like I was in high school and I didn't drink because my mom was a complete alcoholic. And my story is a calm compared to her stories. Her, she was all over the place. You know, it was hard. She was married like over seven times. She did things that you know, I'm sure she's not proud of. And I would run across the street to my busy street to my neighbor's house just so I could get away from it. So I looked like I'm never going to do this, you know? And unfortunately, you know, obviously you see, you know what happened, but you know, at first it was like, it took a toll on me until I did work on myself with, you know, I did the work before I got sober, which is very interesting. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm I'm skipping around, but what is really important is that, you know, I knew I was broken. I knew watching them that, you know, I couldn't keep it doing this. 
but it was, it was hard. It was hard. When Nicole is talking about those times where she says, you know, the peak of your alcoholism, did you know you were an alcoholic then? Absolutely not. (laughs) Don't you love that? Don't you love it? Oh, I love it. But they like to tell me, I'm like, you know what? Don't uh, right now. I'm working. Yeah. I've got all this pressure. I've got your dad driving me crazy. I've got, you know, all this stuff. I was so much pressure, so much stress. And it was like, how am I going to get through this? How am I going to do this? And wine just kept me going. And let me tell you, a lot of my friends drank that wine just as the side next to me. And, you know, the, the thing is, is that we were all making mistakes, but I really made mistakes. And it was always when I was drinking. So would I have done those mistakes when I wasn't drinking? No, um, you know, but yeah, it was, it was definitely tough. It's so funny because I, I talked to a lot of people and I'm sure you guys have come into contact with people where they are like, well, I don't want anybody to know I'm getting sober, right? Like I don't want anybody to know I'm an alcoholic, right? I mean, this is why the 12 steps became an anonymous program. We don't want anybody to know. The joke is that we're the last people to know. Everybody else knows we're an alcoholic right, when we right. start, right? Right, because yeah. the... the the anonym, I always just giggle to myself, like, buddy, don't worry. Everybody knows you're the last person to figure it out. You know, this is because we're so, you know, we're so all over the place. It's such a mess. And that's not the case for everybody. I mean, I, I do come in contact with people who somehow stay under the radar, but I like you ladies was not like that. I was just a ham everywhere. And, and it truly, it, it, it truly baffles people how we can not know in those moments, you know, when you're describing like the four bottles in the, in the bathtub, although I don't know any other way to take a bath other than four bottles of wine, (laughs) the only way to bathe, but it's, it's like, how could you not know? Or how could you not know if you're blacking out or how could you, you know, how could you not know? And I just laugh and like, we don't know. We just, I can't, I can't explain it, but we we're certain we don't have a problem. Yeah. And I feel like with that, it just becomes so normal. Like we almost normalize it in our own heads. And like, we, surround ourselves with people who are doing the same thing, especially I know when it comes like back to college, like I didn't really think I had a problem at first because everyone in my sorority and everyone in the college campus was taking Adderall and, you know, smoking weed. So why did I have a problem? Like it just, it becomes so normalized almost in society. I feel like, especially in the college culture that it's like, it's hard to see that you actually have a problem sometimes. But the one thing is, is that I woke up with that guilt and shame every single time. Mm-hmm. And that's when I knew, like, this is not right. I mean, we all know, we all know that guilt and shame the next day. And that's something I was the, amazing at ignoring it. I would, I would like feel guilt and shame and be like, okay. And my mom used to do that. She would wake up the next morning and be like, nothing. I'm like, what's wrong with her? Yeah. And it was then, always like nothing ever yeah, happened. Nothing. But ever you happened. have to, right? Don't you have to think about it? Like if you're going to maintain that and if you're going to continue living like that, you have to be able to teach a master class in putting away that shame and guilt. 100%. Yeah. 100%. It, it's, and I don't know how that doesn't eat you alive in itself. Eventually. Right. <laughs> no, for sure. Yeah. Stay tuned to hear more in just a moment. Hi, it's Ashley Joe, producer of The Courage to Change. And I wanted to chime in and let you know about our new mobile app. Lion Rock Life. It is now available for download on your phone or tablet from the App Store or 
the Google Play Store. So here's the download on the app. The app is designed to streamline your online recovery experience, allowing you to view live meetings in progress, join meetings quickly, and build stronger connections in recovery. So whether you're newly sober, have many years in recovery, or you're in recovery for something other than drugs or alcohol, the Lion Rock Life mobile app has a space for you. On the app, you'll find alternative recovery meetings and traditional meeting offerings. We have everything from recovery fellowship to community workshops, LGBTQIA+, women's meetings, men's meetings, 12-step meetings, and more. With over 75 meetings on our weekly schedule, you'll find a meeting that meets your individual needs. And with the app, you can personalize your recovery experience, join with privacy in mind, and recover with the support of an incredible community. Join us and find inspiration for a lifetime of recovery by downloading the Lion Rock Life mobile app today. If you have questions or need help, simply visit lionrock.life slash mobile dash app. Thanks. The college culture is a really interesting thing that you bring up, Nicole. I have um, two younger sisters, both who, one of which went to uh, Tulane in New Orleans. And um, and I watched real closely, like, and I would go down and visit and I was sober when she went to college. And uh and I would, and I, we would, I would talk to her about. It. I said, "How do you? I mean, everybody here is drinking in what we would describe alcoholically. Like, there's nothing. It's this is a hundred percent binge drinking." And she and I, she and I would talk about this. And and as the years went on, what was so what we saw and what I see generally is alcoholism behavior in college is considered acceptable, right? Yes, and. Uh, pretty much as long as you're doing okay in college, right. the people who are failing out, not so much. But if you're if you're partying and you're doing okay, you're passing in college. That is partying alcoholically is considered okay. And then it's what happens when people get out, right? Like a couple years after, and that was what we saw with both of my sisters' uh, contemporaries, which was everybody was partying kind of the same, and then they get out and was and it's usually like you know it took everybody kind of a couple years to to calibrate, but then you, then, then, then they separated. Then it was the people who just kept going and they did. And, you know, and, and I personally, I'm the kind of person, you know, and I'm the kind of drug addict, alcoholic, like I, I don't go to college, so I don't go to school. I don't show up for anything. I can't. So I'm always just impressed with people who managed alcoholism while in college, because I'm like, those that's impressive. Just it's just straight impressive to me. But it, we do have a societal thing where it's like, you described a situation. Can you imagine if at 30, a bunch of women who joined a book club sat down and someone pulled out a bottle of Ciroc and was like, we're going to drink this whole right. thing right now while we read, you know, Jane Austen go. <laughs> and, and like everybody had to finish it. Like that wouldn't be normal. Right. Oh, but, yeah, so, exactly. but somehow you're at a party school, you, you're rushing. Like I bet a lot of people across America who've been in your situation are like, yeah, that's pretty powerful. Of course. So we're not teaching, you know, there's like, there's this genetic component that you have. There's this, you know, intergenerational, you know, there's genetic component, there's intergenerational 
trauma from, from what you guys have experienced. And then there's, you know, trauma intermittently. And then there's also this societal piece of going to college, right? Because you were in high school and kind of the responsible party, you, that was, that was at least how you felt you were in college and you get this opportunity. And now everybody's telling you it's cool to drink like this. Let's do this. And you can. And so we have these two pieces where how do we, how do we advocate for people to be sober, but also how do we keep people from not thinking it's okay to drink alcoholically just generally? Right. Well, that's a good question. And you know, the, that's the reason, one of the reasons we started this podcast, because when I went to her college, I was in shock. I could not believe I went to San Diego state. Trust me, <laughs> it partied there, but this college, I've never seen anything like it. It was in It was, everyone was doing all kinds of stuff. They didn't care. I was, I had to stay sober to watch and see what was happening with her, you know, with her experience. And I was like, just blown away the amount. It was all day, all night. There's no adults. And you know what? I really want to, I'm sorry, but that's what surprises me so much. We're going to LMU. I go to LMU now and there's adults everywhere. And I'm like shook. I'm like, this is a thing. Like when I went to the other school I went to, there was no adults anywhere. Like it was yeah. just kids like doing whatever the fuck they wanted, partying, drinking on campus grounds, like in class with their like vodka filled up to the top, like chugging it, smoking blunts in class. Like no one cared. It was crazy. Which is, it was, it, it really scared me. It was unbelievable. But you know what? I really think this, and I really want to say this. So when we send our kids off to college, right? We think, okay, we're done. Let them go. Let them experience life. Well, I really want to say that you're not done. It's just beginning because you need to stay in contact with them. Because first of all, kids are scared. They've never been off on their own. And you're just like, here you go, dump in with a bunch of kids. And it's like a free for all. It's so important that you stay connected and, and talk to them and show up. Like no parents only come on like parent weekend or yeah. something. No, show up when they don't expect you, you know, make sure that, you know, you're, you're there once in a while because they, I, I think that kids feel a little bit abandoned, you know, and in, in a way, because it's scary. I mean, going to college is scary. And that's why, you know, a lot of people probably could reach for the drug, the alcohol. They want to fit in. They want to be cool. They want to be skinnier. They want to be prettier, you know? So it's so important. Like, you know, that's why we talked about doing this podcast. Cause I, she really wants to, you know, let people know you can still have fun. Yeah. Right? Oh yeah. We oh, had yeah. the best time. We were just dancing to one kiss is all it takes. That's our song. <laughs> Before our podcast. <laughs> love it. Love it. So that actually brings us to you, um, Samantha, you got sober in 2019. And Nicole, you got sober in 2020, which both very different years um, at, at this, but kind of a a, a one year is really more like 10 in that, in that span of time. But Samantha, when you got sober, what did that look like? How did you get to that place of, of really that desperation of wanting to make that change? Hmm. <laughs> well, I think, you know, my kids are my life and it makes me emotional because my son, like 
at the end of my alcoholism, he was, he was like disappearing. And it was so hard for me. I was so angry. Why doesn't he want to be around? Why doesn't he want to be with me? And, um, I went out for one last night and I went to a bar in Santa Monica with one of my friends and I was going dancing and I hear Samantha. And I was like, and I turned around and it's Brandon's best friend. And I'm like, Oh, cool. So I do a shot with him. We take a picture and we send it to my son. That's God intervening right there because I woke up the next day and I was like, Oh my God, I'm in big (laughs) trouble. And you know what I got then like within one hour, a call from him. If you don't stop drinking and go to rehab, mom, I'm never going to speak to you again. And he meant it. He did not speak to me for six months and I didn't have a choice to go to rehab. I was a functioning alcoholic. I had this big company and I was like, I have to treat it like business. I have to get up, do what I need to do. And, you know, I started a program and I didn't really understand, but I just kept doing it. And I had a coach, which is so important for me. I had a coach. I used meditation. I, you know, went into this program and I prayed and I I just cried a lot. I cried a lot. You know, it was, it was not easy. This is not an easy thing by any means, but when you start getting it, you feel the freedom. So what was, what was so devastating about the photo of you with your son's friend? I mean, would you want um, your mom to take a picture in a bar at two in the morning with, you know, your best friend? Probably not. It was because I was wasted. You were supposed to be getting sober at that time. Yeah, probably. Yeah. She had told us that she was getting sober. Uh, Okay. I don't know if you even remember that, but because you were, I mean, we don't remember what we're using. Yeah. But she was supposed to be getting sober at that point. Okay. Okay. She was working on it. Yeah. And also, you know, I mean, just a lot of memories came up and and it wasn't like I was present for him. Right. 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 Yeah. And I feel like in the beginning when we like, especially as alcoholics, we'll say we're going to get sober. Right. We're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to get sober. I'm going to. It's like words. So it's like it gets. I don't even remember saying that. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure. (laughs) Right. I don't remember saying that. If I said it, I definitely didn't mean it at that point. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's I like that you said I treated it like a job because that there is something very disciplined showing up every day, being accountable, being skilled. There's a lot of pieces to being sober and getting into recovery that are, that we're using the skills that we use at our, you know, place of employment are very, very helpful. I I, I like that, you know, that's, that's really great. I use it every day in my business, but if I'm not on my, on my daily journey where I literally have to get up I have to meditate every morning. I've got to pray. And then I do a quick little workout, go about my day. And then before I go to bed, I do the same thing. If I don't do that, you can tell I'm irritable or I'm stressed out or why aren't they doing this? Why aren't they doing that? It's so important for me to be in my own little program of what I need to do to work out, to meditate, to to do my program or whatever it is. Right. I'm in great. So I feel grateful, you know, and I am so grateful today because I could, I couldn't be here. Yeah. Yeah. And Nicole, what was it like getting sober in 2020? Getting sober. (laughs) 
it was interesting because that was like really like when the pandemic was we were in lockdown and I I wasn't you couldn't go to in-person meetings and stuff like that right like because I'm in a program and I couldn't I was doing a lot of zoom meetings and I actually like I found a good group of people that helped me uh, stay sober, but it was very hard in the beginning because I I had overdosed. That's what happened. I had overdosed and I went to my mom and I was like, I need help. First of all, I looked at her and I was in like a, what's it called? Brain a, fog. No, that's, yeah. that's an understatement. Like a, <laughs> um, a mini psychosis, literally. Like I was like, I was literally with like overdosing on drugs we'll just say that and I remember sitting staring at like my math textbook on so much Adderall thinking like I remember I had an assignment and it said name obviously like we know on our homework assignments and I couldn't remember my name and I was like what the hell is wrong with me and then I kept going to this deep thought of who am I why am I here like what is my name and I for the life of me cannot remember who I was what my name was why I was on this earth or like, did I have a purpose? And that's like, when I was like, I like was tripped out. I thought the TV was talking to me. Like I was not okay. So then I went to my mom and I was like, and this was a God shot because she was at the restaurant across from my house. And I walked over there, like, don't know how I got there. And I was like, I need help. And she takes me, this is, this is, I love my mom for this. (laughs) She looks at me and she goes, let's go to Whole Foods and get you some brain vitamins. And I'm like, what? Okay. (laughs) I had no idea because I wasn't a drug person. I just totally wanted to believe that she was on her path, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But anyways, from that point, she, my mom took me in and I, I ended up living with her for a couple, like a month. And she helped me get sober, really. I mean, I wouldn't be sober if she wasn't sober. She like, she did, I did like a mini rehab at her house is yeah. what I like to call it. Like she took me in, she cared for me. She showed me how to live sober and like took me to these meetings that I ended up really liking and getting a lot out of and just introduced me to what recovery really was. And like, I ended up meeting this amazing person who has helped me stay sober throughout mm-hmm. my sobriety, who I look up to and has helped me take me through, like walks me through the journey. And there's just been And again, like introducing me to meditation and prayer, helping me find my higher power, my understanding, and just really like giving it up to God. And that's Mm -hmm. really how I've stayed sober, especially during the pandemic. What do you guys do when you feel like the other is struggling and the urge to step in and you know, maybe Samantha, this is more for you, but, but the urge to, I, I suspect Nicole, you probably have some of this in you as well is to like save the other person or like interfere with their program. Yeah. That's, that's a, a good question. question. <laughs> so we both have very strong, strong people, sponsors that help us. We also have a life coach that is amazing and has been with us for almost seven years. Mm-hmm. So we use that. We do coaching together as well. You know, if she knows I'm triggered, you know, she calls me and just, we do a prayer together. We try to have very open communication. I feel like that has really helped our relationship. So for me, I know if I feel like she's not acting right or something, and I know something's going on, then I'll be like, Hey, did you meditate today? Mm -hmm. And most likely she'll be like, no. And then she'll Mm -hmm. go do a meditation. And we'll, it's always that. 
Because, Dang it. Yeah. <laughs> but if it's like something more... Are you like, ever like, are you serious? You know, like when like you just get pissed off that you would even ask that or something. Is it ever oh, a trigger? Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah, we definitely yell at each other. I feel like we act like sisters a lot of the time. Yeah. Like, but she does know and I know too. And, and But we don't like, you know overtake each other we just kind of give a little nudge and then it wakes us up why does it wake us up because we are open and we are aware now before Mm -hmm. i we wouldn't speak so now it's like when she says something to me i'm like oh boy i need to go meditate i need to get back in my zone because i'm not helping anyone if i'm if i'm in this this place right we are together so much obviously like we work together we have a podcast together it's like I don't know. We've built this relationship where it's, we can't, like, I can say anything to my mom now. And like, I know she's not going to like react negatively. And Mm -hmm. like, it's just like this, I I really, I think it's all open communication. Like that's for any relationship, like with your parents, with your, I don't know, significant other, with your siblings, like friends, like open Mm -hmm. communication is the one thing that I've learned is like, it's the most beneficial to having a good healthy relationship because without communication there's really mm-hmm. you're 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 lying to yourself and to other people and what about we were doing a podcast last week and it was crazy that one of the girls in the studio she was this young girl and um <laughs> it makes me cry and when we were done she started crying she's like i'm gonna call my mom and i was like she wanted to she saw us it was it was really a god shot it because was she was um, it was like wow she came up to me after and she's like, you know what? I've been trying to get sober. So like just the fact that God put her in the studio room, she was the one person that was in there and she was trying to get sober. So I got to connect with her. And then she texted me after and she's like, I love my mom mm-hmm. so much. Like it was so I'm so grateful. I got to hear you guys share your story. And she said she called her mom and was crying and saying how much she loved her family. So just like That's little things cool. like that are the reason we have yeah. our podcast now. Yeah. When does your podcast go live? Our podcast goes live September 13th. 13th. Very I'm so excited. Awesome. And uh, it the first opening podcast, is that your story? No, we have a special guest coming on our first podcast for the kickoff. Which will be announced soon. Yeah. We're really excited because he's just such a great person and like such an influential figure in the world. And And he got sober much later in life, which is important because that means there's no timeline. You can get sober at any time. Right. I mean, you know, this all is a journey. And so it was really special. It's a special one. We're excited. That's awesome. So where, what is the name of the podcast and where can people find you? The podcast is called the power of we. And you can find us on Instagram. Our Instagram is the power of we official. We also are going to be on Apple podcast, iHeartRadio, anywhere you can find podcasts. Really anywhere, yeah. Okay. Okay. Awesome. And that's September 13th, 2021. And we definitely want to have you on our podcast as well. Yeah. I would be so honored. This has been so much fun. Yeah. So fun. I would be honored. Yeah. Your story is awesome. And, and I think, um, you know, this is a family disease and we have so much to learn from 
get doing this journey together and teaching other people how to communicate and Samantha, you know, what it's like to watch your child get sober. I think that's a huge thing we're going to see more and more of and how to, how to be involved, but not too involved, but you know, it's just, I mean, there's so many dynamics there. Right. And, and I think, um, I think it's really, really valuable and, and, you know, to stop that, stop the, the, you know, the line, you know, the disease we can maybe change how many people are affected by this ongoing. Yeah. It is absolutely crazy. When you think about it, there's programs and meetings. I mean, there's so many different programs out there. There's just not one way to get sober. There's many different ways, which I didn't know. Cause when yeah. my son was getting sober, I was, I was like, I don't know what to do first. Cause I only knew one way, but there are so many different ways. Yep. That's the great thing about this, this, and really I call it a club for living your life. Yep. It is. It is. I mean, all the things, all the things that we're learning are applicable to anyone in life. They really, I mean, all the things we learned are really, they're really not, I would say that, you know, alcoholism, the difference between me and another person is that I have a fatal reaction to normal problems, right? To the things that happen and, and other people, but the solutions are still helpful. So all of the things that we're doing and all the things we're talking about and teaching about, I think are incredibly helpful, whether people are need to get sober or not. And I think there's, there's an audience for you, Nicole, to talk about one, a piece of this is I, I know a lot of kids who grew up with an alcoholic parent who didn't drink in high school because they were afraid or because they had to keep things together at home. Same thing. And then they get to college and it's like, well, I guess now's the time. And it's a perfect Petri dish for alcoholism to thrive. And I think this is something we need to talk about. Um, there's a, oh gosh, I'm going to, we'll, I'll put it in the show notes. I'm, I'm totally blanking right now, but there's a organization that puts up sober housing for college students. And I, I went to UCLA and I went when I was, I was sober when I went and it was, uh, it was, you know, I, I lived off campus, but it was, it was, you know, definitely, you definitely feel it. And I think, I think there is a, a, a place in the college culture for those of us who don't drink and sober housing and things like that to, um, support those movements so that, people who want to continue that way or, or want to insulate themselves from that culture, that pressure are able to. That's really incredible. Make sure you let us know about that because we're involved in the Women's Battered Women's Shelter and we donate a lot of products from Elite Mason and Elite Home Staging for them to live. So I would love to do that for sober people because that's part of our journey, right? Yeah. And Nicole, her, one of her first stagings was with a person that was recovering. So it's, it's so cool. Yeah. And back to like the college, just like a little bit about the college, like the awareness of sobriety on the college campuses. I've noticed it's like expanding a lot ever since I got sober. Maybe I've just been more aware of it, but <laughs> You're not drunk. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But, you know, I just recently joined a recovery club at LMU and it's all about like sobriety and strength and hope. And just like I'm, I'm the social media chair now. So we get to like raise awareness on the campus, like make posters, hang them up. Like on Fridays, we give out water bottles to like the drunk kids and like, you know, it's just like a cool way to like be of service, you know, like raise awareness of this disease. So can you Someone gave you a water bottle when you were drunk though. Yeah, I, probably- I would be so I would be so grateful. I needed some hydration. 
Yeah. Well, thank you so much for what you're doing and for coming on here. I really appreciate it. And I'm super excited for your podcast. And I know you ladies will do great and put out lots of good content that'll help people. Thank, thank you, you so love. Thank much. you for having us on. It was Absolutely. very, very nice to meet you. Nice to meet you ladies as well. Have a wonderful day. You too. You too. This podcast is sponsored by lionrock.life. Lionrock.life is a recovery community offering free online support group meetings, useful recovery information, and entertainment. Visit www.lionrock.life to view the meeting schedule and find additional resources. Find the joy in recovery at lionrock.life.